Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Okay, I'm going to start again. Hey, Brent Gove, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you, Tim. That sounds a lot better. So um, Brent is, of course, uh, busy. He's on his mobile phone. So those of you who are super particular about um, the audio quality, I suggest that you just basically, uh, you know, suck it up, buttercup, because the podcast you're about to listen to is going to be possibly one of the most important things you're going to hear all year. So, Brent, I'm going to set this bar as high as I possibly can so you and I can deliver information to all of our podcast listeners that can truly be life-changing for all of them. And I really sincerely appreciate you being my co-host today on today's podcast. Thank you, Tim. So here's what we're going to be talking about. And I was just um, – I wrote, I had this idea this morning, and I know you're not prepared for it, um, and I thought it would be fun if we did it this way just because I see you as a peer. You're a professional. I've seen you speak. I've watched you for a long time, and I know that um, you're not going to be overly stressed by what I tell you what we're going to be talking about today. Okay? So here it is. Five, sh- five shockingly true secrets that every real estate agent must know to be successful. And I know you don't have five prepared. So what I thought we would do is we would uh, you would share what you thought to be something that every agent should know, and that I'll do it. And the week at the end of the podcast today, these guys can have ten really critical things that hopefully will make a serious impact, a positive impact on their lives. Sound good? Hundred percent. All right, cool. So before we get into it, tell them a little bit about who you are, where you sold real estate, give them a little bit of background on you. Yeah, Tim, I've been in real estate for 23 years, spent my first 12 years at REMAX, uh, became the number one REMAX agent in California out of 10,000 agents, outsold 9,999 of my competitors, and then I moved over in the crash. I was so desperate, I went to Keller Williams in 2009, and not that they're a bad company, but that's what it took to get me to leave REMAX because I was really happy at REMAX. And then I was there for eight years, uh, did really well, ran the most profitable franchise in the nation, Keller Williams Roseville, 2009-2010. And then a couple of years ago, I I moved to a uh, a cloud-based brokerage, EXP. I've been doing that for two and a half years. I run a $100 million real estate team, about $118 million if we want to be specific. I have 24 agents, partner agents, uh, seven listing specialists and um, about uh, uh, 17 buyer specialists. I uh, stopped selling real estate completely uh, 15 months ago. And I used to take listings. I no longer even take the listings. I let all my listing specialists do that. And I run a radio show on KFBK, which is one of the top 10 AM stations in the country. Uh, Rush Limbaugh and Tom Sullivan. Tom Sullivan runs Fox News on the radio, came from that station. And a guy nobody's heard of, Rush Limbaugh, came from that station. It's conservative news talk radio. It's financial programming, essentially, and news, which is where the rush came in. But uh, anyway, so that's my background. I'm married 28 years, got six kids, and loving life, and living large, and having fun, and loving people. Well, I, you know, so when you guys listen to Brent speak, and if you ever have an opportunity, 
um, definitely go listen to him speak. What he just said is what your takeaway will be, that he truly loves people. <laughs> That's, I think, uh, you know, boundless energy, but also he's really great at telling stories, a real professional. I'll tell you guys a funny story about uh, Brent. So we had him speak at uh, – and thank you, by the way, for doing that. I really, really appreciate it. At one of our events about 90 days ago, 120 days ago, and um, – he was just so fantastic. It was videotaped. It's on YouTube if you guys want to uh, go watch the presentation. But he was actually creating what he was going to talk about on a piece of paper <laughs> prior to going up. He hadn't even pre-planned. And you know what? That's the reason I think you motivated me to really hit it home with this, uh, the topic today. So if you were to think of – just as you're helping, you know, I think maybe for my own sake as well, trying to position in your mind what would be the five things that maybe you wish you would have known when you got into real estate or when you run into a new agent or even more importantly, Brent, when you run into an agent that's seasoned or grizzled and you just get a sense that if there are these maybe five things that they would know and just accept as being truth, it would, their lives would change so much for the better. So however you want to and whatever you want to say, I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. So what's the first thought that comes to mind? And we're going to come up with five each. You bet. You bet. I'm, I'm, I wrote down three as quick as I could just now. So, and by the way, <laughs> before I go on stage, is pre-planning. So I don't accept that. Yep. <laughs> okay, that's true. Well, it's because it's in your head. I, but it's in your so. Yeah, so yeah. Just, I, let me I, let me just. I'm going to go. So there's different phases of learning or mastery, right? And the first one is unconscious incompetence. That's when you don't know what you don't know. You've been ex obviously exposed to all this, but in case our podcast listeners haven't, I won't bore you with all the rest of the details on this, but if you guys want to Google this, you should. Just it's stages of mastery. It's very interesting. And where you live, sir, is where you're consciously competent. So you know pretty much whatever you say, whatever's going to come out of your mouth, it's going to be without any real effort or um, real, you know, not even a lot of thought. It's going to be beneficial and it's going to sound perfect. So that's the realm in which you operate. So you don't have to over-prepare for things because it's already intuitive inside of you. So I'm just giving extra nerdy information for any podcast listeners that are interested. All right, so what's the first thing you wrote down, sir? That's fun. That's fun. I put um, closing every single escrow you do, whether the home is vacant or occupied, in 15 days or less, 10, 12, 15 days. I have 24 agents. That's what we do. We close all of our escrows in 15 days or less. I would say 80% of the time. Sometimes you can't do that. I get that, but yeah. Why is that important? Well, if you can, you know, what's the greatest radio station in the world? WIFM. What's in it for me? And if you can articulate to the listing agent and go, hey, I know you got a lot of people excited about this property, but my clients are desperate, and we are willing to close in the next 12 days, you get paid, I get paid, seller gets proceeds. Please let the seller know they get proceeds. Um, and we're coming in over full price. You and I have already talked to Mr. Listing Agent, and you've told me if I'm going to even have a chance, i got to come in around 490. We're coming in at 500,000 pistols a-blazing, as is <laughs> we're closing in 12 days. We have no loan contingency, no appraisal contingency. Yeah, and then in California, we have an inspection contingency, which is a get-out-of-jail-for-free card. So I just don't mention it. So what they don't know is that we're contingent the entire time. Most people listening to this podcast will say, A, my lender can't do that. B, get a new lender. Okay? And then number number two, there's there's many, many, many – no, not in my town, not in Nashville, not in Dallas, not in, in Bozeman, sure. Montana. 
you are incorrect. There are lenders in every, because of emailing of loan docs, automated underwriting, we can get stuff done fast, fast, fast. I mean, I could, I could hammer stuff through in seven or eight days, start to finish. Here are the keys. And then the seller, we tell the seller, if it is occupied, you could stay for a month, stay for 45 days, two months. You have all your cash in the next 12 days. Listing agent gets paid. You get paid. You move out peacefully, you know, 30 days, 45 days later after that. This is the offer you want. There's, um, we're buying it as is. We're not going to ask you to repair a single thing. So what I'm talking about is kind of how to thrive in a seller's market, which is what we have out here in California. Now, if you're in these markets somewhere around the Midwest, around the country where things are slower, you don't have to be as aggressive. I am always aggressive because you think, well, we don't need to do that. We're in a buyer's market. Yes, you do. Because when you get the seller out of it quickly, they drop the price. They drop it, drop it, drop it. And um, you can tell me how it is, or I can tell you how it is after doing 4,000 plus of these things without any REO <laughs> accounts, all one at a time. A lot of people sell thousands of homes with REO accounts, and they just put them out there and burp out deals. I'm talking one at a time over 4,000. This stuff works. So you're obviously we're talking about from the buyer's perspective, and I think that's really that's awesome actually because what you're hitting on we're pretty much all the same USPs that the iBuyers uh, try to entice sellers with minus the discounted commission. So if you're competing in a competitive market, guys, where uh, the iBuyers are you know obviously if, you know, in some markets they are becoming a threat. Uh, his idea about making it so your buyers can close quick gives your buyers an unfair advantage in the marketplace, even if a seller's considering a fast sale through an buyer. Um, let's take a half step back. So when you start working with buyers and your staff does, you obviously are sending them to a lender. Does the lender basically get all the approvals, all the checks, all the verifications done? Is the lender, is the loan only then dependent on the appraisal of the subject property or how deep in the loan process do you make your lenders go? Right. So I started building my team in 1999, over 20 years ago, and uh, we are way coached up on this stuff. So yes, we look at ourselves as partnering with the lender to make sure the lender gets W-2s, pay stubs, bank statements, tax returns, copies of the divorce, copies of the bankruptcy, whatever it takes. We don't just beat on the lender. We partner with them. We make say, hey, are you, is my client giving you what you need? No, they're not. We teach them to tell us that. We call up our client. We, we say, look, I'm going to find you your dream home, and you're going to lose it because you didn't take the time to send your tax returns. Now, I need you to do it. I need you to do it by tonight. Are we clear? Now, I'm not that radical and intense, but I'm, I'm kind of making the point. A lot of people, it's my lender's job. Great. How's that working out for you? Your lender complains. Your buyer won't give you this stuff. Then you end up trapped doing a 30-day escrow, 45-day escrow. I would beat the tar out of you if we went up against each other in a competitive offer situation. Um, and you think, well, not everything's competitive. I get it. But they'll drop the price. When, the, when you hit the easy button, what is Rocket Mortgage hitting the easy button? When you hit the easy button for a seller and you get them out of their deal in 10 days, 12 days, 14 days, maybe 15. Now, I realize that they have bad credit and they're self-employed and the guy's a plumber. She runs the daycare or he runs the daycare. She's the plumber, whatever. Um, the point is this. Yeah, that could take longer if the credit's bad. I'm not talking about 10, 12, 14-day closes with people with bad credit. I'm talking about competent, good High-level lenders. Not all real estate agents are created equally. Not all lenders are created equally. If your lender can't do it, you have the wrong lender. And if you like pain, because I guarantee you that's what you're enduring, keep it up. Um, well, I'm happy doing 20 homes a year. 
great. How about doing 20 homes a year at twice your current price? Um, and, and how about not having to work so hard to do your 20 homes a year? We win all the time. But back to your original thing, when we can close quickly, there's something in it for everybody. They love it. You don't have 30 days worth of questions. You have 12 days worth of questions. And what people never realize is our clients are contingent all the time. They can back out anytime they want for 12, 14 days, at least in California. I know different states have different laws. We have an inspection contingency in California that is a get out of jail for free card. You don't like the schools. You don't like the crime rate. You're out. There's nothing the seller can do about it. It's heavily, and I'm pretty sure it's that way in most of the states and throughout the country. But um, the point is this, is, is a lot of people listening to me go, well, that sounds risky. That sounds aggressive. Well, damn it, you better be aggressive. This is your family. This is your wife, your husband, your kids. It impacts the home you live in or the home you rent, the car you own or the car you lease or the car you, you know, your beat-up jalopy you drive around in. It impacts everything in your life. So, yes, be aggressive. There's bad aggressive. There's good aggressive. Be good aggressive. Always keep people first. Do the right thing at all costs. Give up an entire commission if that's what needs to be done. If that's the right thing to do, do it. Um, but I want to say this. For those of you who think, well, it sounds aggressive. It sounds risky. You know, 30-day escrow, 45-day escrow. You're the risky one. You're the one who is creating huge. What you're doing is so wrong. Um, and let me tell you why it's wrong. Because your earnest money deposit, your little chintzy three, five, ten thousand dollar earnest money deposit that you put up, one percent of the purchase price of two fifty, which is twenty five hundred bucks. Oh no, I do three percent. Woohoo! Okay, you do seventy five hundred bucks. It's chump change. I'm gonna come up against you and put up thirty thousand dollars money. And and I tell them you're doing that also. Yeah. Right. Well, no, I, I hear I hear what you're saying, but let, I'm going to take a, just a slight step to the side because listeners, you can what he's describing, and is and yes, everything you said, 100. percent But when it comes, it all comes back down to the lender that you're working with, and he's giving you guys suggestions on other things you can do to sweeten the pot if you're in a very competitive seller's market. Obviously, so he's, you know, in case you guys are, we normally we focus a lot on listings on this podcast, but this is fantastic information. But really, guys, the uh, please drill down on what he said with regards to the lender. Make sure the lender has done a three-merge credit report, has checked the verifications and all the whatnot in the Hoodleberry. And when you get that lender's letter back, the only thing that lender's letter can be contention of, and sometimes it's they use language like subject to the verification of or contingent on is the acceptable appraisal of the property. So make sure, listeners, that when you're getting a when you're working with the lender, that lender has not completely done their job with your borrower buyer, unless the the letter you get back is not subject to anything else other than the appraisal of the property. And when he's then then you have a buyer who basically is approved. Now lenders are trained, and a lot of you guys don't know this. And I, you know, lenders are trained not to spend a lot of time on a file until the realtors put that buyer in contract on something. And most time the lenders will just do a very very surface like they'll do one uh, credit with one you know check with one um agency they won't really do any of the verifications of it that's the reason that sometimes you guys have problems with these borrowers once they're in contracts because you didn't make sure the lender did a thorough pre-call on those people pre-call and pre-approval are bs terms you need a letter that says specifically that the borrower is good to go subject to the appraisal of the property all right so the next here so it's my turn so it's secrets okay mine's much more succinct i think um yours is practical i like it so here's here's something that i wish i would have known when i was in my early 20s and this is what i try to convey and everything that julie and i say or do when we're coaching or writing books or whatever is everything worth doing takes a hell of a lot longer than you think it will 
And, I mean, and generally in life, that's true. It, wealth accumulation, that's true. Getting good at a skill, that's true. Getting in good physical condition, everything in life worth doing takes a hell of a lot longer than you think it will. And you will, you've got to be real careful that you don't have anybody influenced your, like people will tell you, you believe the overnight success stories, you, you know, you, you buy into sort of the popular culture of, you know, not having to do a lot, make a lot of effort and all of a sudden somebody, you know, buys a private jet. All those things are basically just lies. So you've got to accept the fact that when you're on a path, when you're climbing your own personal mountain, that it's going to take longer and require more effort and you cannot quit too soon. And that's the biggest mistake that people do. They just quit too soon. Any, you want to tag on anything on that? Or you want to go on to your, your next point? Uh, well, I want to finish the last one. I just want to say this. When people are doing a 30- or a 45-day escrow, your earnest money is at risk. At some point, you remove all the contingencies, and your four, five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000 earnest money deposits at risk. Our team puts up, we start at ten and go twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar deposits. And nobody does this in California and Sacramento where we're from. Maybe the Bay Area, yes, and Newport Beach and Beverly uh, Hills, but but most of normal California, they put up the one, two, three percent of the purchase price. And the reason they do it is because the earnest money's at risk. So by doing a long escrow because you didn't go to good lender and do your homework up front, you're risking five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars earnest money. We're closing so fast, we never remove contingencies. Our earnest money is safe, and sellers get distracted with the shiny object of a $40,000 earnest money deposit. I always say everyone's telling you they want it so bad. Who's showing you? It's like Jerry Maguire. Show me the money, Jerry. I got 40,000 reasons to get this done. We get deal after deal after deal because we do large earnest money deposits, which are never at risk. And everybody else who thinks they're so safe are putting them at risk. I just want to finish that trend of thought. Sorry, man. No, sorry I didn't let you. you that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, so, yeah. uh, as far as you know, any, it's your turn. <laughs> the ball is in your okay, court, so, sir. So I, I didn't know this was just listings, of course. So I had no, 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 dude. It can be yeah, whatever you I want to talk about, Brent. Whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, it's not just okay, listings. Well, I, I whatever you list, want to talk about. My listing, my listing one is third. But one of the things that drives me crazy is agents who can't get their offer presented within hours. Um, they put, well, you have three days to respond. I don't want to be pushy. Stop it. If you don't, it's not pushy. It's being strategic and representing your client. Not being pushy is a lame way for saying you're, you're scared and you're doing a crappy job representing your client. You can be a professional. Listen to how I do this. Um, Tim, tell me that you can't, uh, you can't present offers till this Tuesday at 8 p.m. Say it. Uh, we, we're not going to be presenting any offers. We're gathering offers. We're not presenting anything until 8 p.m. on Tuesday. How many times do we all hear this? We hear it all the time. I said, hey, great, no problem. Can I run some of the highlights by of my offer that I'm thinking about writing you on Castle Peak Court? Just take me about one minute to give you the bullet points. Do you got a second? Please. Okay. Great. The, your property's listed for 350. My client wants to come in at 360. We're going to close in 10 days. We're going to buy it as is. We're putting up a $30,000 earnest money deposit. We're not asking for a pest report. And uh, my client's already uh, pre-approved, ready to grow. We've lost out of some other deals. We are desperate. You want to sell to my client. Our, our, we burned our boats in the harbor. 
when, when I hang up the phone, Tim, my lender's going to call you within about 30 seconds. You don't have to chase my lender down. My lender's going to call you, tell you how we have pay subs, W-2s, bank statements, tax returns, everything we need. By the way, the client is instructing me to let you know, and you can verify this with the lender, that he has a 695 FICO. She has a 740 FICO. He's a fireman. She's a nurse, and we are ready to go. Um, so this is a dream offer. Um, so here's the situation, Tim. Your client has every right to wait till Tuesday at 8. I'm sure you've told other agents you're waiting till Tuesday at 8. Unfortunately, it's Thursday afternoon at 5. We cannot wait till Tuesday at 8. We're in a desperate situation where we need to close quick. That's why we're closing in 10 days. That's why we're buying it as is. That's why we're putting up a $30,000 earnest money deposit. That's why we're going 10000 over the asking price. So this is a dream offer. And so I've written the offer. I'm sending it to you right now. It will expire in the next three hours. All I'm asking, Tim, and I know you're not presenting offers to Tuesday night. That's fine. No problem. We have no problem with that. We simply can't wait. So if you'll just let your client know they have a dream offer, they'll never get a better offer than this. Yeah, they might get something more than 360, more than 10,000, or they might not. A bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. But here's the bottom line. We have to buy a different home tomorrow morning. We don't want to buy that home. This is the home we want to buy. This is our first home. But we cannot wait around until next Tuesday. So just let them know how great this offer is. And, um, and then if they want to wait till next Tuesday, no problem. I do that. They go, okay, but they're going to wait. I, I have to wait. I've told other agents. Well, just let them know. Your age, your client has the right to change their mind. doesn't matter what you've told people. You have to tell them, hey, my client changed their mind. They call me back all the time. Oh, my God, I've read them the bullet points. They've accepted your offer. Awesome, Tim. Could you go one more step? Could you just go on the computer? Because we don't want to break the hearts of those eight other agents that are running to show that property and at this point wasting their time. Can you mark it pending? Well, you know I can't do that until you have a signed contract. Yeah, you can, Tim. It's real easy. You just go pending. You just click the button. You go pending, and it's off the market. And if anyone calls, you say you have a deal. If they ask if it's signed, it's none of their business, Tim. We have a deal. The offer's in your thing. You know your client's already accepted. They're going to sign it when you get back to the office an hour or two. Just mark it pending so you don't waste all those other agents' time. What do you say? Most of the time, I get them to mark it pending on a freaking verbal. And, and we're done, and we're off the market. I don't wait. You want to be a stepping stone. You want to get used. Wait till Monday night or Tuesday night. I very politely say, hey, no problem. You can wait. So I call it strategically pushy. I call it representing my client. We get deal after deal, and yeah, all the other agents get mad. Well, don't don't wait. And so that's, that's my second tip that I wish I knew when I started. It took me years and years of getting my ass kicked in multiple offers, and waiting for Monday or Tuesday night, then it becomes a bidding war. Then my client doesn't pay ten thousand over; they pay twenty or thirty thousand over. And so that's my advice on hand, how to handle not waiting. I know the uh, agents in the Midwest are listening and thinking, "Well, I'm glad I'm not selling in that uh, California market because it's so competitive." But the fact is, guys, there's hot sellers markets in every market in the country. Um, you just might not be selling in it. And he did have a, a really great point earlier with regards to if you're selling in a market that you don't necessarily like the average commission, maybe you just move to that other market where things are selling faster. And these tips he's giving you are going to make it so you can not just survive but thrive when working with buyers. Um, so I'm curious about that one. When you're submitting an offer, so you're, I get the offer part, the contract part. Are you giving them these bullet points on like an addendum or just basically a cover letter? Or are you just expecting them to write them down? Like, how are you conveying this information so that you know it's getting passed back to the seller the way you intended? So I like to completely put to <clears throat> my deal together verbally. 
and I'll, and I'm, when we hang up the phone, I go, I just texted it to you, and the email is going to be in your inbox in about five, ten minutes, or I just hit send. And then the email has – agents don't use bullet points. Here are the highlights of my offer. Bam, 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 bam. And they're all right there, and I leave the inspection contingency in place so we can cancel any time we want. We're at zero risk, and they never really notice that part. <laughs> and if they do bring it up, I go, look, we do need to look at the home and, and check out the roof. I'm sure it'll be just fine, but we can't we can't just buy it sight unseen. And they go, yeah, yeah, you're right. So um, did I answer the question? You did. I'm at the, I mean, I get what you're saying, but as far as like when you when you're doing it verbally, so you're making these points, expecting the seller, the listing agent, to write the points down as far as why they don't want to wait and no. uh, lose your no. dream buyers. Yeah, no, 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 no. That, then I follow it up with a text that go here are the highlights. Okay. Bam, 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 bam. And then an email because personally, okay. I hate email, so I don't like to look through my email. So if you're talking to somebody like the text and you emailed them the points, they're not reading. It's hard to read an email on your iPhone. A text is much right. easier to read on your iPhone. So I call, I put the deal together, I follow up a text and an email, and everything. And then the deadline on the contract's like nine o'clock tonight. Always, always, always. I have fast deadlines, so I don't want to be pushy. Good luck. You don't sell a lot of real estate if you're not doing that stuff. I guarantee you don't sell a lot of real estate. Um, well, and if you're not do, being quote unquote pushy, you're also not serving your buyers because your buyers are certainly thinking you're being that pushy to get their offer accepted. You know, I mean, you're just yeah. basically doing what your buyers always thought you were doing in the first place. So let's talk about. I mean, the, the five secrets was the concept of today's podcast, but I like the direction that you're taking us. I'm going to drill down a little bit more. So. Um, another secret is you don't have to buy leads, um, and that's something that nobody really talks about anymore because everyone wants to talk about all this you know, sexy, passive, digital way to get leads. But one of the most effective ways for agents, no matter where you are in your career, to get ahead of the curve is to do open houses. And I know that sounds like, and some of you are going to roll your eyes at the idea, but here's really all I have to say to make the point. In every search that study that's ever been done, it's always shown that the best buyers are the ones that are driving neighborhoods that they've already basically decided where they want to live, looking for open houses on Sunday. And the worst buyer leads generally are the ones that start are starting their search, and those are the ones, the buyer leads that generally you guys are buying. So the bot leads that are coming on off the internet from going to you know Zillow or Realtor.com or wherever else, I'm not saying they're all bad, but generally speaking, those are the least motivated people that are just in the beginning stages of their looking, and the most motivated ones are the ones that are going to discover you on an open house. And so when picking your open house, be strategic about that. Pick an open house that you know we talked about. It got, listen, podcast listeners, just go back to Real Estate Coaching Radio or again, go to our main website, timandjulieharris.com. We've done a lot of podcasts on how to do killer open houses. So that's my next secret. You don't have to buy leads. Get in the habit of generating your own leads, and you can always have a very profitable business. Your turn. I 100% agree, Tim. Uh, my best year ever, I sold 429 homes in California in our prices in one year, um, all one at a time, no REO accounts. I passed on the REO thing. It didn't appeal to me, and I'm glad I did. I got no regrets. But of the 429 sales, 318 were strangers we met at open houses. 
And um, and we don't do our open houses like everybody else. We did them totally different. Our team collects social security numbers, private social security numbers at open houses. That's how we do our open houses. Okay, okay. I'm going to stop you there. I want to talk about that. So that's going to be your secret. When you're doing an open house, you're not just it's not just a meet and greet. You're actually taking them to the next step, and you're starting to pre-qualify them. So that the, we'll we'll can that as your particular secret. But can you drill down and let the listeners know how you're doing that? Yeah, no problem. So, A, we put out about 30 signs that are open houses, not five. So we have tons of signs. That's what brings them in. The key thing on a sign is free list of area homes because you're, if you're in Lake Tahoe or Detroit or on the beach in the Panhandle or San Diego and they're driving around, they want to see other homes. So having that list of area homes, they'll come in. Like They may not like the style of the home you're in, but they're like, oh, there's a list of area homes. Let's go in and get that list. makes all the difference in the world. Then when they come in, we talk about how we publish the list of vacant homes in Beverly Hills, the vacant homes in La Jolla, Newport Beach, Sacramento, Seattle, Portland. We publish the vacant homes. And the reason you want the vacant home list is because these sellers have moved to another home. They either bought a home or leased a home. Either way, they, they usually go from a $500,000 home to a $750,000 home. Now they're making mortgage payments on $1.2 million worth of real estate, which they're not used to. it, And some of them flat out freak out. So if you want to get a smoking good deal on a house, you shop the vacant homes. You can shop them all, but look for the vacant homes. We get pools, Infinity Edge, Granite Counters, Gourmet Kitchens, four-car garages, beautiful stuff, but they're vacant, and the seller will drop the price, mm, not all the time, but about two-thirds of the time, you get a great deal on a house. So if you want that list, we publish, and that's the key word, publish. Learn that one little word. It's the magic word. It's my secret. We publish this list every Friday because a lot of agents, clients will put their hand in your face and go, I don't need you. I've got Zillow. I've got Redfin. I've got Realtor.com. I've got whatever I've got. I don't need you. I go, sorry, this list of homes, they don't publish a vacant home list on those sites. Those are public sites, and they're not allowed to do it. I am. I'm a licensed agent. I get behind the firewall. I know the alarm codes to every home, and there's no law that says I can't publish a vacant home list. And these are your motivated sellers. Some of them, honestly, are desperate. And they've inherited homes, and three kids inherited the home. Two of them don't have money problems, but old old Robbie, Robbie's got money problems. The other two like, let's just dump the house. Robbie can have his inheritance. I know we should sell it for four, but they're offering us – you know, three forty. Let's just take three forty, sixty thousand less. We all get twenty thousand less, but Robbie gets his money. Robbie's going to get, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand, one hundred forty thousand, whatever it is. And he, he, let's just dump it and run and help out Robbie. And so you want this list. The only way you're going to get this list is through me. I publish it every Friday. So before you leave, just leave me your email address. I put it on a little five by seven card and they back away. They look at each other and go, "That's freaking brilliant." And they go, "Yeah, yeah, we want to get on your list." I've only asked for their email, and that's on purpose. Never ask for a phone number. And then once I get to say, great, now we have homes at 100000 up to $3 million. What price range do you want so I don't spam your inbox? And that makes sense to them. Now they start describing their dream home to me, for two-story or one-story, big lot, small lot, new, old, 2,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet, pool, no pool. And you go through all that. Now we're having conversation. We're exchanging information. We're building rapport. They just made the biggest mistake of their life because now they're getting comfortable with me. Oh, you want a pool? Do you have kids? Oh, I got kids. How many kids you got? How old are your kids? Blah, 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 blah. We're building rapport. At the very end, 
I go, hey, by the way, my name's Brent. I don't even introduce myself to him till the very end. Oh, we're Bob and Candy. We're like old friends at this point. I go, now, hey, Candy, Bob, sometimes we'll have a home fallout escrow. And as agents, we don't put it back in the MLS. We call our friends. How would you like me to call you a, with a 4,000-square-foot home with the view of the lake, all these things? You're willing to go up to 600000 It's at 550 sold in multiple offers. How would you like me to call that, show it to you? You'd be able to make an offer on it without being in a bidding war. How would you like that? Oh, I'd love that. Good. Do you text? That's the other secret. Do you text? I didn't ask for a phone number. They don't realize the trap they're stepping in. And I hate to call it a trap, but they go, yeah, I text. Everyone takes. Great. What's the best number to text you at? Again, I didn't ask, can I have your cell phone? Can I have your phone number? Again, I still haven't asked for a phone number or cell phone. What's the best number? It sounds harmless, like an email. Now I got their number. I got their name. Now it's time to rock and roll. The last thing I'll say, Tim, and hand it back over to you, is you could tell I've done this a lot again and again and again. Mastery, mastery, weekend after weekend. We just kill it. But um, the, the last thing is, Oh, by the way, have you gotten pre-qualified with your uh, lender? Yes, I have. Um, great. What interest rates are quoting you? Uh, 3.9. Awesome. What are the closing costs? Well, they didn't mention that. Wow, that's a huge red flag, Tim. Uh, you're supposed to get a good faith estimate. You should know your closing costs. Uh, on a home like this, 400000 they could run as much as you know, uh, 3% of the purchase price. We're talking $12,000, sometimes $14,000. My lender just did one at four hundred thousand for seven thousand bucks, not twelve or fourteen thousand, seven thousand. Facts tell, stories sell. We just had a client buy a home like this. They only paid seven thousand. If you end up getting a three point nine, but you pay fourteen thousand in closing costs, you just burn seven thousand dollars. Take one minute, fill out that five by seven application there, and I'll call you Monday with your approval. And I guarantee you the rate's probably going to be about 3.8, 3.7, which will save you twenty or $30,000 in interest over your 30-year loan. Easy. And closing costs, we'll find out what they are. My hunch is it's going to be seven or 8000 bucks. And even if you stay with your lender, oh, I want to use my lender. Great, stay with your lender. When they know you're shopping with a lender, they're going to sharpen their pencil. You're going to get a lower interest rate. Your closing costs, maybe they were at nine. They're going to drop to seven. You're going to save thousands, probably 20, just by keeping your lender honest. Because you don't know, 3.9 sounds good. I go, so take one minute, fill this out. And they complete it, and, it's, and then they sign it. It says authorization to pull credit. And what's on there? It says SS number. I never say, can I have your social security number, Tim? They just fill it out. They willingly write down their social security numbers because what I said made sense and was compelling. And we collect, my record is in three and a half hours, I collected 37 sets of private social security numbers, 37 different buyers. Only 19 got approved. So I picked up not leads. I picked up 19 approved buyers in three and a half hours on a rainy day where I bungee corded my dumb signs to trees because it was blowing 40 miles an hour. And so, man, it's different. And and um, if anybody wants to watch that, how to do a mega open house, um, that's at brentgoveresources.com. And, uh, and you just click on agent training. It's 90 minutes long. And I give you a cliff note version, but we kill it. I've made... 3.8 million in one year from open houses. What we do is totally different, uh, usually, from what a lot of people do. Usually, people don't collect social security numbers. And when you call them back and say, Tim, Julie, congratulations, I got you approved to $700,000 zero down or 5% down. Let's go shopping. You don't even know who the lender is. They can't switch to another agent. As far as you know, I'm the lender. I never talk about who the lender is. I don't have to. There's no law that says I have to. 
And I call them back. We're doing it for 20 years. Oh, you might get in trouble. Really? 20 years? Nope. I got authorization to pull credit. They give the authorization to pull credit. Got their signature. I've got their income. It's all on a five by seven application. No, it's not enough to buy a house, but it's enough to know what their income is. The credit report shows their debt obligation, and we kill it with that system. That's fantastic. Well, I hope your listener, I hope the listeners are hearing that you're not just sitting there on your computer and uh, ignoring the buyers as they walk in. You're seeing, and guys, think about this. I'll tell you what I'm learning from uh, Brent is he's not afraid to ask for the order. And I was actually, not, this is a great next point. Um, you have to ask for the order, and that's a secret in that everyone should just uh, intuitively know is true. But what happens all too often is agents are too fearful of coming off as being too pushy. They're fearful of what will the buyers think of me or the sellers think of me. And so what you guys end up doing is you end up being secret agents. And a secret agent is someone who never asks for the order, let alone let others know that they're in real estate. And if I think that you will easily get the vibe from Brent that that is not his problem. And he does not have a psychological issue with uh, following through on what people expect him to do, which is ask for the order. So that's something I think a lot of you guys need to seriously ask yourself is are you fearful of asking um, a question like, please, would you please sign the contract or let's get the paperwork out of the way? There's lots of different ways that you can basically move past the most in, uh, important part of the you know, whole relationship, which is getting them to sign. So ask yourself, do you, feel, do you call yourself a salesperson? Do you think of yourself as a salesperson? What are your psychological mooring lines to seeing yourself as a salesperson? Maybe you don't like the word. Maybe you don't like the connotation. Maybe you don't like how it makes you feel. Maybe you have this head junk about how people perceive salespeople. Well, how about clearing all that aside and just realizing that your job is to be of service to other people? And when you, someone's hired you to help them buy a house, their expectation is you're going to work like he does, and you're actually going to get the job done. Same with the seller, obviously. So these are all important things. So I'm going to – next secret, okay? Here's one that's really – I think you and I will be in complete agreement about. Um, Okay, well, this is kind of a double-edged sword, but here it is. Ultimately, people, sellers, buyers, hire individual agents, and they don't – the brokerage name does not necessarily matter. And a lot of agents, when getting started in the business, they have this perception that they need to go with some sort of well-established local brand name. And the reality of it is, is all the transactions that you do, the people probably won't even know what brand you're with. So the secret is – be very careful about the broker you choose because that can have a huge effect on what happens over your, the course of your career. So choose wisely and choose one that is in alignment with what your true goal is, uh, which for most of you is to basically be rich where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money. So your turn, sir. Well, I mean, you want me to comment on that topic? You don't have to. You can come up with a different one. Well, I, I can tell you this. When I left Remax, and I was, I was, it had been my main company I've been at for 12 years, I was convinced I needed that balloon. <clears throat> but things were so bad in 2009, I went to the KW, Keller Williams. And when I went, they weren't big in Sacramento. My clients were like, who, what? KW, Keller Williams. Paint company? No, that's Sherman Williams. This is Keller Williams. Bottom line, I moved 37 listings and escrows to Keller Williams when I left Remax. Nobody cared. I didn't lose a single client because I went to some no-name company called KW. At the time, they were a no-name company. Two people do business with you. They do business with me. They do not do business with Coldwell Banker, Remax, Century 21. You think you need your brand. You don't. Now, occasionally, 
you'll get some high-end where they want Sotheby's or Christie's. I'll give you that. But that is not normal yep. America. That is your 2%, your 1%, your 5%. It's a very low margin. So um, that's all I got to say about the brokerage and needing your brand. If you believe you need your brand, you're, you're, you're not a mature agent. You're not a, a well-developed agent. I'm sorry. No, it's true, and those are agents. That, but that's a lot of the ways that big brands will, uh, you know, recruit agents. Basically, is by telling them that their brand matters, and you guys will quickly discover that what you're paying for that supposed brand is really insane. Well, so let's actually pivot. You've said this a few times. I want to talk about that. There are a lot of agents that are looking to advance their careers. And they're uh, discovering, well, I've, you know, we have this, this common topic on this podcast, is a lot of these agents don't really realize how important it is that they align themselves with a broker that has the same financial interests as them. Over the last 10 or 15 years, really since 2007, there's been so many brokerages and so many, frankly, business models that have evolved in the real estate space, the result in agents making no profit. Teams are notorious for that. Big brokerages are notorious for that. Buyer agents that are constantly being fed buyer leads and never know how to generate their own business. All these things result, generally speaking, in agents that have no profit. Um, so when I get agents on the phone and I, you know, they're asking for a private coaching call and I'll talk with them, one of the first things I always ask them is about what their broker splits are. And I'm always shocked how, how they don't know. I'm asking them you know, all these types of questions and they're wondering why they don't have any money. It's because all their money is going to their broker split and taxes. So, I mean, honestly, those are the two big things. It's not that you know, they're probably spending money unnecessarily, but if they were to really take a hard look at those two things, they're going to immediately increase. I had a true story, Brent. I, had a, I won't use it name, but I had a new coaching client, and I was going through his numbers just like I'm describing. And I found out he knew, but he didn't know, no, that he was spending three hundred over $300,000 a year on his broker split. But here's the shocking part. His average commission is only like six or seven grand. So every year he was selling 59 houses, basically just to cover that's the, the portion of his, you know, what the broker was getting, almost 60 units a year. That's amazing. Wow. So you switch from wow. – yeah, I know. That's that's the record so far. So, but you switched from Caldwell Banker. You went to Remax. You went to uh, you went to uh, Keller Williams, and now you're at EXP. Can you explain why you went to EXP? Oh yeah, well it's funny you're talking about broker splits. I was at Remax, a hundred percent company, right? Yeah. And in <laughs> Is that true? And, and, and I'm at a hundred percent split. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It costs you nine ninety five a month for your hundred percent split. Really? Because in 2005, because I sell a lot of real estate, 429 homes, I paid them, and we, uh, the agents, we'd kid around amongst ourselves quietly. We'd all joke around and call it FEMAX because we knew darn well we weren't getting 100%. They had secret, uh, interesting ways to extract money from our paychecks. And in 2005, I paid $455,000 to REMAX for that balloon. What? Out of those four. Yeah, they charge the, – you're at 100%, but they still charge admin fees and charges and percentages and .00168. What the hell is that? Well, it's like 6% of every deal. And so I ended up paying almost half a million dollars in 2005, and Keller Williams tried to recruit me and say, hey, look, the cap's only 27000 a year. You'll save over 400000 a year. You know what I said? Eh, Remax has been good to me. I make $3.8 million. They can have their half a million. I make I net $3.4 million as far as that goes. Then I have my own expenses, but I'm good with it. I just completely poo-pooed Keller Williams, not interested. Why rock the boat? I'm on the love boat. I love Remax. No way. 
well, in 2009, times are tough. And I go, man, that $27,000 cap's looking good. After being at REMAX in 2009 for nine months, now, again, this is if you sell a lot of real estate. Um, I saw, I paid REMAX $177,000 in nine months. Again, they're masters at extracting money. When you all know I have this deal, really, let's take a look at it close like you do, Tim. You and I both know. And so I, I switched to Keller Williams in 2009. It's only a $27,000 cap. And then I brought my 12 agents with me. Well, what I failed to really look at, let's use 10 because it's an easy number. Let's say you have 10 buyer's agents. You have a team. If the buyer's agent cap is 18, what's 10 times 18? 180,000 a year plus your 27. You're still over 200,000 a year to Keller Williams. Well, I don't have 10. I only have five. Okay, what's five times 18? Five times 10 is 50, 8, 90 plus your 27. You're 110,000 a year to Keller Williams. And so it's like, oh, my God, these things just add up. And that, then that's just the basic fee. There are other fees, admin fees and, and all kinds of other fees. And so the bottom line is um, at EXP, it was 16000 a year. And then the buyer's agents are eight, half of that. It's funny thing. At Keller, we said buyer's agents are half cap. Really? In California, we were 27, and the buyer's agents were 18. Well, last I checked, that's not half of 27. 18 is not half of 18, but they called it a half cap. Well, uh, really let, let me, let me, let, we, we can't assume – I make this mistake too. We can't assume that people know what the hell we're talking about. So in case you guys don't know, a cap basically is – in some markets, that's not a real prevalent word. So a cap in essence is just basically what you pay your broker, and then after you pay in your cap, after you pay in your – in his case, it was $27,000, then I've, after that, you're 100 percent uh, commission minus whatever fees they would charge you on your deals. So when he says cap, that's all it is. So when he says EXP has a $16,000 cap, he means literally after you pay in your $16,000, you know, the commission you earn, there's no, there's nothing else being paid to the broker. That's what he's trying to describe to you guys. Other than whatever right. nominal yeah. monthly fees there might be at like EXP, it's 85 bucks. Yeah, and the reason they can do it is they're like Airbnb, they're like Uber, they're like Netflix and Amazon, they're cloud-based. They simply don't have the overhead, so they can charge less. It's so funny. Yeah, but it's not sustainable. Really? I found the company with the least amount of overhead is sustainable. We got it by far times 40. It is hilarious. The very thing our competitors say that we're not sustainable, really, we're the ones without the overhead. We're not locked into five- and seven- and ten-year commercial leases with monthly lease payments of thirty, forty, fifty thousand a month for the building, sixty, seventy thousand a month for the building. Not, not always. There's more than that. It's crazy. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's just much more affordable for my time. My team and I to work here. The 8000 was so little, my agents each pay it themselves. So I literally pay 16000 a year because it takes about eight sales to cap in California, maybe more in other states, but about eight. And then if you do cap and do 20 sales, they actually return your cap to you, the sixteen grand, the form of stock. So I actually got that back a few years ago. The stock is almost quadrupled, so it's not worth thirty-two forty-eight. It's worth around sixty-five thousand dollars. I've only been here two and a half years, so this October will make three years. By the time I get it, I think it'll be worth eighty thousand dollars. So what did I pay to be at EXP? Nothing, because I'm an owner. I, I got a seat, and everybody has that opportunity at EXP because we own a piece of the brokerage through the stock, making us shareholders. We own a piece of the love boat, baby, and that is unique and rare.
Okay, I have a I have a really great question, and the question is: Isn't uh, EXP just a multi-level marketing thing, and won't agents just basically want to be in the recruiting game and not necessarily sell houses anymore? But before you answer that question, because I've heard you answer that before brilliantly, uh, listeners, we've made something super easy for you. All you've got to do is text the word EXP to three one nine nine six. Text the word EXP to three one nine nine six, and you'll instantly be sent back a quick seven-minute video, and you can just watch that video. That'll answer all the things that Brand is talking about in more detail. It breaks it down in very quick, easy to watch on your cell phone. It's super simple. So go ahead right now and just text the word EXP to 31996. And when you do, you're also going to be entitled to a free coaching call with an agent attraction coach. We'll call you back. We'll answer uh, the agent attraction coach. will then schedule an appointment with you around your schedule. But in the meantime, take action now and text the word EXP to 31996. So uh, when agents say... Uh, or the industry sometimes will say, well, it's just a big multi-level marketing thing, and agents are going to stop selling real estate, and they're just going to focus on recruiting agents, blah, blah, blah. How do you respond to that? Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, you have to sell real estate because you need the money from it until the revenue share becomes larger like it did for me. So, of course, I mean, we're now the fourth largest company in America, uh, sidewise, that just was published. A EXP as far as number of sides is pretty awesome, but um, but here's the bottom line: is uh, Gary Keller is in the recruiting business. He he wants to have you know 300,000 agents. He he sold real estate until he recruited enough agents where he didn't have to. Coldwell Bankers in the recruiting business. I think well I don't want to be that. Then you're a hamster on a treadmill. I've been doing that 23 years. You're as good as your last escrow. You run out of escrows, the stress factor ometer goes up. Your family's lifestyle goes down. The credit cards pile up. Um, and so bottom line is, um, I love, as Zig Ziglar says, he talks about stress and, 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 and all that and how Moses parted the Red Sea. And he says, you know, God, that's great. You can part all the water you want, but you just ain't never dealt with one of those credit card companies. I love that line. So when you're struggling financially, when you're struggling financially, it's no fun. So you know what? Century 21, Dave Linegar, Remax, they all bought and sold real estate, but then they slowly part-time started building sales organizations, and I guess they're all Coldwell Bankers and multi-level marketing. Um, the difference is they keep it all. Remax keeps it all. Keller Williams keeps it all. No, they don't. They do profit sharing. No, they don't. It's profit. They share a little of the profit, but Gary Keller keeps it all. Gary Keller shares nothing from that model. He doesn't share a penny. He talked to franchise owners into giving them a few hundred thousand dollars and then talked them into sharing half of their profit with their agents. And they're like, to hell with that. So they found ways to pull the profit out, just like we do when we do our taxes. You find legal ways to do your taxes so you don't have to pay the IRS as much. The franchise owners at Keller Williams have found legal ways to suck the profit out of that deal. I think today I make five times what the number one uh, profit share earners for Keller Williams, Athia Osborne, I make five times that much, maybe six. I got to add it up. But um, and I've only been here for two and a half years, not 30 like her. And I love Keller. I'm not putting them down. I love Remax. We're all human beings providing for our families, but do not say our business is unsustainable. We're the ones without the overhead. So the, the argument is it's like hysterical. It's like you say to someone on a boat, you're going to drown, and you're in the water drowning. You've slipped off the Titanic. You're holding on the iceberg. You're going, you're all going to drown, pointing up to the boat, and you're the one in the water drowning. It's the most ridiculous argument I've ever heard. Of. I mean, it's, 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 it's hilarious. I can't believe it. And the agents were 
repeated it. It's so funny. Anyway, I'll stop. Well, you've said something that's really important there, and I've seen this explained it, um, very well. In essence, what they are doing is they're just returning the money that would have gone to support the actual physical buildings, the actual staff, the structures, the on-site copiers, the, all the Mickey Mouse that would be paid to the owners, the office franchisers, the team leaders, the you know whoever owns the region. All that money, all that profit, not to mention what would flow back up to corporate, that money is then just being returned back to agents. So if you look at it in essence – essence how exp's money flows just that's the essence of it the middle person the middle structure that's in place with virtually every other model out there that money is then sent back to the agents so as an exp agent which is so intriguing it's it's just compelling when you think about it agents actually are selling more houses because they're realizing that well i i guess what i get to my cap i can actually start keeping 100 percent. so they're seemingly more motivated but they're also making money from the stock that they get awarded and they can buy it at a discount they're getting money from revenue share if they uh, a hit icon they're making money from uh, getting their cap back in the form of icon again guys just watch that video and it explains it all just text the word exp to 31996 um do you have i know you must have a, it's like can you give a for example like a real life somebody you know who joined exp in like the last 12 months someone who maybe wouldn't be your t prototypical you know salesperson someone who maybe was a little bit introverted who was having success not just selling real estate but also having built uh, some decent revenue share does anyone come to mind when i ask that question Oh, yeah, simple guy, Joey Satariano. He was uh, a coach for Keller Williams. Um, he he does speaking events for free eventually. They kind of train you up, and he gets to do little classes, and he'd have 30, 40 people there, and, and he's doing real estate. He's probably knocking down 40, 50 homes a year, and he'd been doing this for years and years and years and years and years with no end in sight, single dad, and he joined EXP last January. And it's now June, or today's July 1st, but his rev share the last few months is up to about $3,000 a month. And you go, well, that's not that much money. Well, I don't know, 36000 a year extra. Can you pay off your home center? Can you pay off credit cards? In three years, you take that money, you've paid off $100,000 worth of credit card debt. The problem is what he's kind of the people he's referred, who've referred people who's gotten him at 3000 a month, they're continuing to refer. So probably this fall he'll be at 10000 a month, 120000 a year, and that's about nine months into his career at eXp through revenue share, not counting the stock. He absolutely loves it. Look him up. He's in Sacramento, California, Joey Saturiano. I got about 300 other stories like that, and many of them people make five and 10000 a month doing no, that's not that much. It's 120,000 a year. It's going to change the trajectory of your retirement payoff stuff. So, yeah. Well, not just that, but it get, I mean, imagine waking up in the morning and not having the stress of having to worry about, you know, uh, it, look, guys, if you had his example, $10,000 coming in the month, that's passive. There's no expenses against that. He didn't really, once that, he didn't really have to, how many people totally did Joey uh, sponsor? Do you remember? Oh, great, great point. I think Joey sponsored, I believe the number was 10, not 100. 10, okay. 10. Ten. Well, that, I mean, and uh, I know you're a great, you've, you're sponsored in the 60s totally, total number of agents you personally have sponsored, yep. right? 60-something? Yep. Yeah. And um, you now, listeners, I'm, how many? No, I'm, I'm, Brent? I'm, I think I'm at 84, 84. Okay, 84 people you sponsored. Now, but here's the amazing – now I want to define this. So Brent personally, and how long is it taking you to get to 84? Well, two, two and a half years, two years. Okay, two good. Seven years. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, in that time, I'm not going to ask you a numbers question unless you want to answer it. But, well, I will ask you this. In that time, and again, it's up to you to answer it. I mean, it's not going to be a money question. How how big has your group grown to in less than three years with you having sponsored basically 80 people? Well, here's the funny thing. In eight months, I enrolled 40 people. So we really did all of it in the first eight months. And while I listed 40 homes, I listed 40 agents. You could just list homes and represent buyers. And you'll be like my parents. You'll be real estate for 55 years. They retired from Coldwell Banker. They got their last check for their last escrow. They've never seen a dime from Coldwell Banker since then. That was eight years ago. And it's like pulling your finger out of a glass of water. Whoop, it was like you were never there. And so what I did was during that eight-month period, Friday afternoons, I started reaching out to agents. There's two million, you guys. And I simply enrolled five agents a month for EXP, and eight months later, eight times five is 40. That's all I did. And I think my income eight months later was like 35, 40,000 a month from the revenue share, and that is powerful. My second month, I earned $5,000 of EXP from RevShare. My third month, it was $10,000 from RevShare. And I think it was my fifth month, I hit about 25000 a month, which is like two fifty, three hundred thousand a year within five months, not five years. And so you got to open up your eyes, take a look at it. It makes total sense. They said it'll never work. Once I did it, six months later, I'm making twenty five, thirty thousand a month, which is significant. We'd all agree. They said I was lucky. It went from it'll never work till I was lucky. What I found, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And then I think um, – uh, by December, 15 months later, it was 55000 a month rev share. And then three months after that, that doubled to 118000 a month rev share, $1.2 million a year in my second year. And at that point, I started earning 100000 a month. And I went, why am I doing real estate? I'll just run my team seventh level. I'll stop taking listings. I gave all my listing specialists all the, you know, five, eight million, two, three million dollar listings I would keep because. As you run a big team, you keep the best ones for yourself, and you give out the lower stuff because you don't want to deal with it. And, um, and I gave them everything. They loved it. They're thriving. They're making more money. And then, um, and then I think uh, you know it's tripled since then. About 14 months later, and it's just it's unreal. And that's why Dave Linegar's a billionaire. That's why Gary Keller's. A, well, that could never happen. Just go and roll a few agents and watch what happens. It'll blow your mind. Yeah, I've, I ran into agents, and we've had them on this podcast, um, you know, icon agents who are – they've sponsored, just like you said, 10 or 15 people, and they didn't do it really proactively, honestly. Most of them, they just met from, you know, being here or there, saying, hey, I saw you went over the XP, and the next thing you know, they sponsored that agent. And then the way it grows is something you have to see to believe. It's exceptional. It's, it just is something that – if I had, if Julie and I had known about this, we've been married for almost 30 years. When we originally got in the business, our goal was to essentially have enough paid-off rental properties that we didn't have to work for money anymore. Our money was working for us. And had I known about this three, thir, you know, 28 years ago, I would have seriously doubted, questioned whether I would have bought any rental properties. I mean, but EXP wasn't around then. Because this can get you to passive income so much faster than anything I've ever – have you ever seen anything that works like this in the real estate industry? I mean, in the whole time you've been in the, in the industry, have you ever seen anything like this that's this essentially beneficial to agents? 
You know, uh, Bob Corcoran, who co- coaches 28 of the Wall Street top 100 after 35 years, said he's never seen an opportunity like this. My mom and dad, 55 years, they're so excited for me. They never had this opportunity. And uh, one thing I don't have is the fear of failure. I was so willing to come to EXP, have it not work, and go back to Keller Williams six months later. Totally good with that. If they don't want me back, I'll go to REMAX or go independent. I didn't care. I've never been afraid of failure, and I've probably failed more than most people on this podcast, and so have you, Tim. That's why we're successful. We have a high tolerance for rejection, and, um, and it's like it ain't personal, and we love people, and we move on, and it's the most amazing opportunity I could ever dream of. Hey, I've got to step into my next appointment. i got people tugging at me. Is there anything else you need, Tim? No, man, it's perfect. I really appreciate your time. I was about to wrap it up anyway. So, Brett, thank you very much, and I will wrap up for you, and I'll tell them how to find you, okay? Thank you very much, Brett. Hey, congratulations to you and Julie. Love and respect you guys. All of you are so fortunate to be on this podcast with this beautiful couple, Tim and Julie Harris. They're brilliant. You guys know it. And um, that's it. Thanks for having me on, and we'll see you August 20th in Las Vegas. We had 400 people at our leadership event last year. This year we're going to have 1,100 people, people flying in from all over, and people are invited on this call. Come on, check us out, August 20th in Las Vegas. Kim will tell you all about it. See you, buddy. Yep, I will. Thank you, sir. So, listeners, here's the takeaway. Uh, Brent's very interesting from a business perspective because he built a lot of his business, and what he's really an expert at is talking about basically how to work with buyers at scale. And when I've seen him speak before, he, the, you know, essentially his focus when he was building his own business was just focusing on buyers. And to think in terms of uh, how to actually sell lots and lots of houses just to buyers, you heard his numbers, three, four million a year in commission. That wasn't his volume, listeners. That was how much money he's actually earning, a majority of which was from uh, his buyer side of the business. That's something that's novel in the real estate industry. It is. Um, and our coaching business is focused on primarily helping you guys take listings because, frankly, many of you wouldn't want to do what he had to do to get that many buyers in contract and learn how to build a system and a team that that works that operates at that level. But he did a really masterful job. I strongly encourage any of you, if you have an opportunity to attend his event um, in Vegas and or watch any of the videos online, we've actually got – go to YouTube and just put in Tim and Julie Harris, and you'll find a video uh, – I think it's two or three videos, actually, of the presentation he did um, recently in Austin, and there's some other videos, too, you want to watch. But here's the moral of the story, guys. I hope you're understanding that the reason that we're doing all these interviews is because I'm trying to expose you to new and bigger and better ways of thinking because you need to take action now while, the, well, frankly, the economy and the market's still hot. Um, if you wait for the market to come unsettled or for the market to cool off, it, you know, whatever you want to define it as. In other words, if you wait for it to become a buyer's market, you're not going to have the financial fortitude to make the changes that you do now. So this is the time for you to reshuffle your own deck. This is the time for you to be honest about uh, what really is working and not working in your real estate business. If there's anything that we can do for you, you guys can always call or text me directly. It's 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. Just literally text me. That's my cell phone number, 512-758-0206. Or if you just like to watch that EXP video, just text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. 
Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.